Modern Esther podcast is designed for Christian women who God has called to a career. Our goal is to identify the modern Esther in all women and to leave you feeling empowered with the mission to glorify God in your vocation. It's Amy and Danielle, and we are so excited to have you guys back on our next episode of The Modern Esther. Um, today is specifically excited, or particularly exciting, because we are starting our next series. Um, and so we told you guys uh, last episode that we would be diving into Deborah, and we are just really excited to get that off the ground today. So, um, welcome back. Um one of the first things that we want to do in the Deborah series is just give you guys a little bit of background on um, where where Deborah starts and um, just to kind of do a quick brief or, you know update on um, you know where she starts in the Bible and what was has been going on around her in that time period. Yes, and so uh, we're going to talk a lot about the background because it kind of sets precedent for why she is so important and for why this timing is so important. So Deborah is found in the book of Judges chapter 4 and 5. So Judges is written in between 10,043 and 10,004 BC where Joshua was written in 1410 to 1350 BC. So we have about a 300 year difference from the time of Joshua to Judges. Now this becomes extremely important because we see a I mean, a huge contrast between the way that the Israelites' faith was in Joshua to how their faith was in the book of Judges. And Joshua warned about this as soon as he died in Joshua, I guess kind of leading up to his death, in Joshua 23, 14, 6 through 14 through 16, he says, Soon I will die, going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts you know that every promise to the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed, but as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you if you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods. His anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. So... And you even see this continue, and he repeatedly asks them, like, will you be faithful? And they go, like, yes, we will serve the Lord. Will you be faithful? Yes, we will serve the Lord. This is all at the end of Joshua. And he ends in Joshua twenty four fifteen. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. And then this is where the, one of the most famous verses of the Bible comes from, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And he did. He served the Lord very faithfully. And Amy and I were kind of talking a little bit about that verse where, you know, as surely as the Lord has given you all the good things he has promised, you know, he will bring bad. And I feel like Joshua had it kind of rough because even though he saw many victories, he had to suffer a lot of war and a lot of death and see a lot of friends pass away in order to get those victories and maybe even family members. So he definitely was able to see all of those promises, um, but his faith was astounding. Um, but you do see at the end of Joshua and then even into kind of Judges 2.8, we get this recap that Joshua dies at the age of 110. So this is kind of a big deal because they, uh, uh, before Joshua, we had Moses, and he was their huge leader. And then you had this amazing spiritual military leader in Joshua, and now he's passed away. And they're not really left with any successor. Uh, so that, you know, we kind of see that this 300-year gap, this new generation arises. And kind of starting in Judges 2.10, uh, we see... 
that after, it says, after the generation that died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord and remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. So they don't know the history of their people very well, and they're not acknowledging him. And one scholar, Dr. Vernon McGee, summed it up best. He said, really, the whole theme of Judges can be summed up in the last verse of Judges, Judges 21-23, which says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's spot on as far as the theme of Judges. Um and the context is is really good. So, like, you know, basically, like Danielle said, Joshua was leading them. They were living um, righteous lives, the Israelites were. And then when they no longer had that leadership, they kind of um, did their own things. And so um, if you read further in Judges, uh, starting in Chapter 2, really, um, they were worshiping other gods. And um, the people that they were around, they were really kind of falling Uh, sinful to what the other people were doing. So the other nations that were surrounding them, they started practicing the way that they practiced and doing the things that they do, which were not of God. They were of the world. Um, And then because of that disobedience, God actually, I guess, got fed up with them and Mm -hmm. said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to give you over to the hands of your enemy. I'm going to let them plunder you and take control of you. So, Just as Joshua warned. Right. Joshua gave like the context of that and said, no, that, that's what will happen, and that's actually what God did. Um, so you see that in chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, that God gave them over to their enemies. Um, but then, like God does for us to this day, um, even though they were not obeying him and they were very disobedient, um, they begged for God to save them, and they begged for God to send something to help them and to bring them out of this. So um, in verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16, you see that when God cried out to them, or excuse me, when they cried out to God, he gave them judges. He raised up judges, which were um, like leaders of the time. So there were no kings at this time. There were, um, Joshua was gone. So that the judges kind of filled that interim of leadership over Israel during that time period. Um And then if you read further in chapter 2, in verse 18, um, it tells us that whenever God raised up a judge, that he was with that judge. He watched over them, and then there was peace within Israel during that time period of their reign. Um, So there were three judges that preceded Deborah, which is obviously our, our main character in this series. Um, those three judges, just to get, give you guys names and context, um, there's Othniel, um, and he had reigned over the land, it seems like, for 40 years because there was peace in Israel for 40 years. Um, you can read about him in chapter 3, uh, verse 7 through 11. And then Ehud was the next judge. Um, he killed the enemy king by stabbing him, um, kind of tricking him and then stabbing him. And there was peace in Israel for 80 years. So we're assuming that his reign was 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's further in chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. And then uh, the last judge before Deborah was Shamgar. And he. there's not a lot written about Shamgar, but um, you can read about him in chapter 3, verse 31. It says that he struck down 600 Philistines and also saved Israel. And so after Shamgar, then the next judge was raised up, and that was that's where we start in Deborah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deborah's story starts in chapter 4, Judges chapter 4, and then the song version of that is in chapter 5. Um, Deborah is the only female judge um, through the, throughout the book of Judges. And, um, you know, during this time period, I think that 
we think we tend to think like you know women were less than and I'm sure men were very dominant during that time period but the fact that God anointed a woman to lead Israel basically should say something that even gender didn't matter as much back then um it probably did I but, think but yeah. God was just God it didn't, it didn't matter, matter to God, God. right yeah. right yeah For culturally I think it did matter but yeah yeah I think to God for sure um, so she was raised up as the judge. She was, um, also a prophet. So, um, Deborah, when it starts talking about Deborah in chapter four, um, it describes her as a prophetess and she's a wife. Um, it, it tells who her husband was. And then she was also a warrior, which, um, we'll talk about that a little more in detail, but those are kind of the hats that she wore, um, as, as a judge as well. And so her rule was about 40 years as well. Um, it says in chapter 5, verse 31, that there were 40 years of peace during her reign. So that would lead us to believe that she was um, reigning for 40 years. Um, and then we weren't sure how did Deborah, like I, I actually asked the question of how did Deborah, so how did she become anointed? Like how did that work actually back then? Like, you know, how did God just anoint them? And it seems like Deborah was prophesying and... Um, just, you know, practicing that and, and God was with her through that. And so then that's how he raised her up. But we don't have a lot of detail in scripture on that. Um, yeah, just that she, um, and I think we were getting ready to talk about that anyway, so I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you're fine. The, that she had that palm of Deborah, which all of these things we're hitting on briefly, we're going to go into detail later about that she would sit under that palm of Deborah um, and they would go to her for judgment. And so that was... That was her palm tree. She would sit under it. She mm-hmm. would have wisdom. And um, and I don't know if you were going to talk about the ancestor thing, but the fact that she could have been anointed through the fact that her the ancestors were chosen. Um, it had said if the it said in Judges two seventeen how quickly they turned away, but from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the command. So it, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I might be going off here, but it seemed like. Maybe God chose the judges based on the faith of those who did stay the path. Yeah, Um, and I I think that that's a good inference to draw from that. And one thing, too, to think about um, judges during that time period, it's not exactly like we would see a judge today. Like a judge was someone who would exercise authority, um, but not necessarily someone who would host like a a trial like we think of today. You know, it was just really the leader of the area. Judges today have leadership abilities and they're, but they're not in charge. They're not fully the government. Deborah was the government of Israel for lack of better words at that time or the judge in charge was. Yeah. And so, um, kind of surrounding her cause everybody had like a, a Canaanite cause they're in the land of Canaan. So they had a Canaanite king and the king, the enemy king at that time was Jabab, Jaban, Jaban, Jaban. Sounds good. <laughs> of Hazar. Anybody and, know Hebrew? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And his, the commander of the army was Sisera. And so we're going to see Sisera kind of come, becomes this enemy, um, of both the Deborah and the Israelites because of, um, I guess of how many victories he is, he's just won in the past. And so uh, that becomes kind of the target. Um, and so we kind of see, you know, this palm tree and where she's sitting. And Amy actually pulled up a great map. And I, too bad this is a podcast, not a video, to kind of show you the map. But where she would actually sit at the palm tree was between Ramah and Bethel, which was in the middle of this place of sin and idolatry. So she wasn't running from anything, but she had kind of created a peace in the midst of chaos Mm -hmm. that 
truly the Israelites had created um, for themselves, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. They were the ones that were um, not living in the way of God and had forgotten about what their ancestors had been through. And she created this kind of safe space for them to come, it seems like. So. Mm-hmm. And so um, so kind of that's the background. That's really all we're given um, on her. Um, clearly, there's only two chapters for her, which is more than some judges. Poor little Shamgar only got a sentence. Yeah. So um, <laughs> this is good for her. <laughs> I did think it was neat because all three of the judges preceding her, they were all mentioned in chapter three throughout the verses. Yeah. She actually did get her own chapter. So yeah, that is, that is something. <laughs> um, she's, she's really great. And so... Um, okay, so so something neat, and again, we're gonna we're gonna talk about more about like kind of the like who she is in the next coming weeks and what she did and and the characters surrounding her story and and how God kind of played a part um, and how this pertains to you know our lives as uh, career driven women or just women in Christ. But um, her name is just super interesting and it really just struck a chord with Amy and I both as I was reading about her, I kind of looked like what her name meant and culturally speaking in a Jewish family and in that culture specifically at that time, a name meant a lot. It it was very Mm -hmm. prophetic for what they were going to do in their life, what their relationship with God was going to be and how they were going to impact that culture at the time. Uh, for example, if you look at um, Genesis 17:5, God renamed Abraham. So his name was actually Abram before. So it said in 17:5, it says, "Neither shall your name anymore be called Abram, but your name be your name shall be Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations I have made for you." So he was prophesying, giving Abraham a blessing and giving him a new name. We see this again with Jacob. In Genesis 32, he says, Your name shall no more be Jacob, but Israel. For you have sh- you have uh, fought with God and with men, wrestled with God and with men, and have won. Mm-hmm. And so we see this, and this is kind of um, a pattern um, in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament we found examples Several, of this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so um, one example that stuck out to both of us was Peter. Um, before he was Peter, he was Simon. And if you read chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verse 42, it says, when Jesus looked at him, referring to Simon at the time, he said, you are Simon, the son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. And Cephas is a common noun meaning stone or rock. And without hesitation, Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Peter um, accepted that because uh, Jesus knew that he would be renamed because Jesus later says that Peter is the rock upon which Christ found found his church upon. Um, so that's Peter, a big example. Um, also Paul, um, who we know as Paul, who wrote most of the, or who wrote the epistles and most of the new Testament. Um, he was, as we all know, he was very educated and had a long list of credentials as far as knowledge goes in the Jewish culture. Um, so Saul actually means inquired, which, which tends to match his, his history. You know, he knew all these things and he was very knowledgeable, but his name was changed to Paul in Acts uh, 9 and that changed to the meaning of humble, which Mm, is great because Paul is a great example of someone who had so much knowledge and showed also so much humility. Um, and then even Jesus, you know, I mean, Jesus, the name Jesus wasn't just, um, 
you know, <laughs> Mary and Joseph didn't have like a gender reveal and say, Hey, let's take name examples <laughs> like we do today. Um, they, they heard from the angel of the Lord and the angel instructed them to name their child Jesus. And that's what they did. Um, and so it, Jesus translates to God saves. God saves. Yeah. And so what, you know, that got us thinking about what does Deborah's name mean? Mm-hmm. Did you know, we just started doing a little research and digging to see what the, what the translation of Deborah actually mm-hmm. means. Yes. Daniel found something really exciting. I love it. I love it. So it's not that crazy, but it means bee, like a honeybee. And so I I think they're fascinating creatures. So I was super excited about that. If you caught our Instagram, there was like a little... A little, a little preview to why why the BU is going to be mentioned today, but they're just full of fun facts, right? There, eighty percent of all of our uh, plants are pollinated by our bees. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they live in colonies with with one queen bee, and uh, there's male drones that are supposed to mate with that queen bee. She will lay up to two thousand five hundred eggs. There's worker bees; they will work around the clock. They actually will work in alignment with, um, uh, it's like, I think it's the sun. I, I should be, I can't be wrong about that, but it, it's, it's weird about their, the, their cycle, the way that they do. If the queen bee is mean, all of the worker bees will be mean. My dad can attest to this. He was, um, so there's bees in that my neighbors, my family's neighbors. So my, my parents, we live on five acres, not, not a whole lot, but their neighbors <laughs> raise honey so there's all these beehives in the back, and they're technically on our land, but it's the country. No one cares. And so when my dad would <laughs> mow back there on the John Deere, one day my mom and I are watching him, and he like runs off the tractor, swarming. Like, oh my god! Yeah, did, you, did I tell you about this? No. Yeah, because he's like got all these bees like chasing him, and it was because and Poor Mike. the neighbor came over and was like, "I'm so sorry, you know, they gave us the thing. I had to look so sorry." Is a is a mean queen bee. Oh. So yeah. So <laughs> the queen bees. So it's just interesting. Like they're just very social creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, but one interesting thing is, and um, Amy, did you, I don't think you knew this fact before. No, I did. But I did because of the thing, <laughs> um, that honeybees. One of their biggest predators is skunks. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And honestly, um, yeah, I'm I'm from the country too, and I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, skunks are kind of like pests in the country regardless, yeah. but I didn't really know that they affected bees. Um, and we were doing some research, you know, and I started digging into this a little bit. Um, and apparently, skunks are really bad. They can actually weaken a really strong hive, mm-hmm. and then they can kill a really weakened hive already. So if it's not very strong, then, then they can kill it. Um so how they do this is the craziest part, I think. So skunks, and I think we don't give skunks enough credit, to be honest. <laughs> um, so they're really apparently very uh, sneaky, and mm-hmm. what they do is they scratch the entrance to the hive, and then when the bee, they make all this noise and ruckus, and then when the bees come out to see what's going on, the skunk actually swats the bee, knocks them down, knocks them out, and then they start to eat them as they start to come to. So it just <laughs> makes skunks these sweet little, what we think stinky but sweet little skunks as like these vicious predators to the bees so yeah, i never thought skunks were sweet Amy, yeah so i don't know why <laughs> I, that's kind of cute you not know at all. they're okay. like 
like the ugliest thing. Well, I don't know. Possums are pretty. They're apparently also predators to bees, but um, (laughs) side note. Um, But skunks. So, so what we were thinking about this, and in in relation to Deborah and how her name means bee, we're like, man, skunks can really stink up the place, like Mm -hmm. you know. And in Deborah's life, there were skunks as well. Like she was in a land of skunks. and it's so similar to what's happening in Israel after Joshua's death and before, even before Deborah's reign. All of these surrounding nations um, are distracting the Israelites with sin and false gods. And when the Israelites succumb to the temptation to see what this is all about, kind of like the bees, the other nations tried to devour them. They yeah. wanted to um, take over. And then God eventually um, let them have them. And so the Israelites then would plead for his help and then ask for him to come to rescue. And so they were really, um, the, the ex- I guess the external nations were really stinking up the place. But then you also have the Israelites who were stinking up the place. You know, they were skunks within the, within the colony, I guess. Um, so... The skunks, um, rather than remembering the God of their ancestors, I'm sorry, the Israelites, now I'm getting them crossed, <laughs> but the Israelites, rather than remembering the God of their ancestors, they were sinning and bringing the wrath of the other nations upon themselves. Um, and it just goes to show that, we think anyway, and we're making this analogy, but that we can be distracted by a lot of noise and a lot of um, ruckus going on, and it's if we succumb to that, if we um, get stick our heads out of what our safe home is in God, then we run the risk of getting swatted down by this predator. Right. Um, and so I just think it's interesting, kind of the parallel between the skunks, the bees, and then what actually was happening in Israel oh, yeah. at the time of Deborah. So, I mean, it says in John ten ten that thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. And honey is so rich in smell, texture, and taste. So if they just stay with their honey and their hive, um, they would never, you know, be at risk yeah. um, for this this death, right? You know that this gonna, you know, kind of be upon them if they leave. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that that um, was a great analogy. Obviously, we came up with it, but um, <laughs> it seemed appropriate. Yes, her name means bee. So. Yeah. Um, Another thing about honeybees is there was this huge myth. It's been long researched and debated why honeybees can fly. So August uh, Magnon, he's a French French, uh, person. In the 1930s, he came up with this myth that bees' flight should be impossible. And this has long been believed um, because of the haphazard way that they flap around and because of their weight um, to wing ratio and... um, and the way that they flap their wings, they just didn't think that it would be possible. Um, and this has long been believed because of the way that humans think about a flight of an airplane. So if we think about a flight of the airplane, the wing forces air down, which in turn pushes the wing and the plane upward. Michael Dickinson explains the fluid dynamics of a bumblebee to be quite different than an airplane when he says the angle to the wing also creates vortices in the air-like in the air, like small hurricanes. So instead of it being, instead of them actually flapping their wings up and down horizontally, they're actually flapping their wings in a motion in kind of like a little circle back and forth, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and that's just kind of, I just thought that was really interesting because at first I was like, oh man, honeybee flies anyway, which you think is impossible with God. But the myth is actually even more interesting because if you're actually looking at the flight from one angle, right, you may say like, it's impossible for this honeybee to fly. 
just like Deborah, right? Mm-hmm. It, it would be impossible for Deborah, a woman, to be a judge in her time and for people to listen to her. Mm-hmm. But her course was different than other women of her time and certainly unique. But it was not impossible, just like it's not impossible for a honeybee to fly. It's actually completely possible. You just have to look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And we're not looking at it from God's perspective. It was perfectly possible, and it was perfectly wonderful for her to be there because it was perfectly, in that point in time, what God wanted to happen. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So if we can do good things, He planned for us long ago. So we shouldn't ever underestimate our own abilities and what God can do with them, but instead be confident in the fact that we are chosen for something. We are all set on a course, and we must stay that course faithfully. Even if others think it's impossible, or even if we ourselves think it's too far, we too are bumblebees, and God has already laid our flight out before us. All we have to do is fly. God, thank you so much for giving us a flight plan and for loving us unconditionally that even when we are just completely drowning in our own um, insecurities that we can't see all the possibilities that you've presented before us, um, that you can just give us a new perspective and say, I got this and I've already won all these victories. All we have to do is just remain faithful to you. So God, I pray that we do and that everyone listening does and that we just continue to build on the foundation that we have and we know is true that you are going to fulfill all the promises that you have for us and that we can just be your little bumblebees. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That was an exciting episode, and we, (laughs) again, we're so happy to have you guys with us, Um, and I'm glad to be back after missing last week. I know. Well, two. Yeah, two episodes. Um, Welcome back, Amy. (laughs) Thank you. you. Amanda did a great job. Um, But yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode, Um, and check out the blog if you have a chance. Um, Yes. We are writing a few things on that, so if you want to check out the blog at themodernester.com. Um, or please, we would love to hear from you if you want to email yes. us and just email. We've gotten some amazing stories, and we probably will take out either breakout sessions or try to fit the story if, they, if people would allow us to share them. It's, it's really great to hear from people. So, and guys, thank you so much for listening. Like, um, God has just truly blessed us. I've already learned so much. I know Amy has too, but it's truly humbling to hear from people. So, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, we hope you guys have a good week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.